context that we're talking about today is the very same as last week. So let me just remind you, Jesus had fed 10 to 15,000 people or more. Uh, They got so excited in that process that they wanted to install Jesus as their king right then and right there. Wasn't God's timing, and so Jesus slipped away out of the crowd. He went and hid from them. And so his disciples and Jesus later that day, that night, they gather back together, him and his 12 disciples, they gather back together and they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, away from the crowds. Well, uh, the people following Jesus, uh, last week we called them, let's see, what do you call someone who follows, uh, what's her name? Taylor Swift. What do you call them? Right, Swifties. What did we call these folks following Jesus last week? Christies, yeah. So the Christies find Jesus on the other side. They go and they find him, not a surprise. And the Christies, though, seem to be wanting something from Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, guys, you're, you're only following me here because I fed you yesterday, right? You're only following me here because I fed you yesterday. And then Jesus says this. I want to read this to you. He says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now, I want to say something about that phrase. It's highlighted on the screen here. Son of Man. That was code. It makes no sense to us here in America. That was Jewish code for, hey, I'm the Messiah. That's code for Jesus saying to other Jews who knew exactly what he was saying. They understood that the term was a prophecy. Son of man will be the Messiah. And Jesus said, you need to seek eternal life that the son of man can give you. He goes on, for God, the father has given me the seal of approval. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, eternal me, spend your energy and your time looking for this eternal life. He's basically saying, listen, guys, you looked uh, for the food I gave you. You didn't look at the miracle behind the food. Hey, guys, listen, that's what he's kind of saying. Listen, looky here, (laughs) looky here. It's me, the Messiah. And they just weren't getting it. He goes on. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? (laughs) They're, They're not understanding here. I mean, how many times does Jesus need to go over this same thing? Apparently, at least one more. He's saying there's one thing you should be worrying about, and it's not worrying about uh, uh, doing special tricks. No, 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 no. It is seeking eternal life from God's Messiah, not performing miracles. How much more clear does Jesus need to make this? Here's what he says in verse 29. So Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Now I want you to pay really close attention pay close attention to this conversation that's going on because there's three things I want you to really hone in on for the rest of our discussion today. Pay close attention to whom God, Jesus, to whom Jesus is speaking. Pay close attention. 
And next, I want you to pay close attention to the invitation that Jesus offers them. And lastly, pay close attention to their responses to Jesus. So pay attention with me because this kind of changes as we go, the answer to each of those three things. So this is important. In this moment, at this moment, in this conversation, who is Jesus speaking to right now? At this very moment, he's speaking to however many Christies had jumped in boats and gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus. We don't know how many it was. So however many of the 10, 15,000 people that were there, however many jumped in boats and went to the other side. That's who he's speaking to. Now, what does Jesus want from every person he's speaking to? Here's what he says. This is the only work God wants from you. And he's addressing each one of them. It's not each one of you. That's what the word means. Not you, the group, you, the person. What does he want from each one? And here's what he said. Believe in the one he, God, the Father, has sent. That's the one thing. Each one of you, he says, God has sent the Messiah. It's me, he says. And the one single thing God wants from you is not miracles. God wants you, each one of you, to believe in me. So who is he speaking to? Some rather large number, we don't know how many, rather large number of Christies who follow Jesus Christ around. What does he want from them? What is that invitation he's inviting them to? To believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus, the Messiah, and their response. Oh, Okay, we get it, Jesus. You are the Son of Man, God's Messiah. We have been waiting for you. Yes, we are going to follow you and you alone. Uh, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what John wrote. Here's what happened, verse 30. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. And then they say, what can you do? Uh, to all my Gen Xers out there, what have you done for me? Thank you, lately. Yes, you pass. <laughs> They're like, all right, Jesus, what you got? What you got, Jesus? Jesus, this is fun. I am having a good time with this. Listen, Jesus, you put on a really good show. What you got for today? Show us more. Show us more. Come on, everybody. Show us more. Show us more. What can you, Jesus, do to convince us? See, Jesus, Moses did more than just feed 10 or 15,000 of us for one day. I mean, he fed all of Israel every single day. And here's what they said, verse 31. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. True statement, by the way. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Not a true statement, by the way. They're saying Moses fed us every single day. 
And for some reason, they're not getting it. Um, they are not picking up what Jesus is putting down. They are still thinking about meals on wheels, not the Messiah. It seems like as we read through this, they are just really looking at what they can get from Jesus, out of Jesus. A bargain, a deal, a transaction, a good time, uh, some fish and chips. But Jesus corrects their, their, their theology. Here's what he says in verse 32. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. In other words, listen, guys, those meals didn't come from Moses at all. Moses didn't give you that. He said, my father did. But listen, it's like he's saying, Christies, come on, listen. Let's bring this back to what it's all about. Let's bring this back to me. This is all about God sending me, Jesus, the Son of Man, the Messiah, to you. And Jesus goes on. He says, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. Jesus is saying the true bread from heaven is not manna. It is me. Now, very quickly, there are so many comparisons that will testimony between manna and Jesus. Manna in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. Manna was their bread for life. Jesus is our bread for life. So manna, bread from God, yes. And Jesus is saying, yep, and, he, and God the Father is doing it again. He's sending you some bread from heaven. But this bread gives you eternal life. This bread is me, Jesus. So let's very quickly look at manna and Jesus. McKinley's going to have some stuff on the screen for us. Manna and Jesus. Um, here are some very fast comparisons. Um, manna, they needed it every single day to live. And for us, Jesus and them, Jesus, they needed him every single day to live eternally. Manna, it was provided by God, but they had a responsibility to go out and grab it. It didn't just land on their plate. God didn't just toss it into their mouths. They had to go get it. They had a responsibility. Jesus, we have a responsibility to take hold of Jesus. We have to pick him up, rely on him, believe in him, cling to him. Manna, it was enough for all of Israel, but Jesus, it's enough for the whole world. Whole world. Manna, it would satisfy them for one day. Jesus, the only one who will really satisfy us in life at all. Manna was undeserved. They didn't earn it. God gave it to them. Jesus. We can never earn him. God sent him to us. Manna. Boy, they got tired of it after a while. They became ungrateful. They forgot what it was like to be hungry. Jesus, how in the world, how in the world do we get tired of Jesus? But we do. And we become ungrateful because we forget what life was like without Jesus. The comparison can go on and on and on. 
So who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to some number, large number of Christies. We don't know how many. What is God inviting them to do? He's inviting them to believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus goes on. Verse 33, the true bread of God and gives life. It's not manna. Is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look at that right there, to the world. So the who just changed. Now Jesus has broadened it, not just to the Christies. Now Jesus is saying, I am here, not just for you. I am here for the entire world. And with every invitation, what is the invitation? He is here. He's here to give life. And we have to rely on, believe in, cling to him for that. And with every single invitation, God awaits a response. So what is the response of the people in front of him right now? Here's what they said in verse 34. Sir, so it's affirmative. Yes, that's what we want. They said, give us that bread every day, Jesus. Okay, yes, that is the bread. Here is what we talked about now last week. I want to read through this. So this is where what we talked about last week falls into this story. And Jesus replied, and I hope if you have not heard us talking about this, please go back and listen to this. Jesus replied, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. We broke all of that down last week. Please, please, please go hear that. Go listen to that. Now, they are thinking about what Jesus is saying. They are in the process of processing what he said. Something of what Jesus is saying is getting through, but they don't like what they're hearing. They don't like what they're hearing. Here's what happens in verse 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus the son of Joseph? Big place. We know his father and mother. In other words, Galilee, it ain't no big place. We know, we know his family. He didn't come from heaven. He came from Mary and Joseph. And they say, how can he say I came down from heaven? 
Now remember, who is Jesus in conversation with right now? He's in conversation with the Christies. What is the invitation that he is offering them? He is saying, believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus, the Messiah. And what is their response? Nope, that's Mary's kid. We're not believing in him. He's not the bread from heaven. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. It appears that Jesus must be getting really frustrated and tired of explaining himself, beating his head against the wall. It's almost as if Jesus seems to be ready for this conversation to be over. Because the truth is, no one is ever argued into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't even try to argue people into a relationship with him. And when they keep arguing with Jesus, he seems to shift gears now and ramp things up in order to force them, the Christies, to move on and allow those who are actually choosing to believe in him, rely on him, cling to him, allowing them to stay. And here's how the, he ramps up this tension. Verse 47, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone. All right. Who is Jesus speaking to when he says anyone? And yes, any one of you right now and anyone from yesterday from the fish and chips, any one of them. And he's saying anyone tomorrow and the day after and the day after in the whole world. So it's anyone now, anyone then, anyone to come in the future. Anyone is who he's speaking to. And by anyone, we mean everyone. So what's the invitation? He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. And he says in verse 48, yes, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus is turning up the heat. And he's going to now force them to either follow or to fall away. And Jesus is sticking with this metaphor. So here is, uh, here is uh, participation time. Finish my, finish my metaphor. Life is a highway. <laughs> Life is a, yes, you're awesome. You love music too. Uh, uh, movies now. Life is a box of, excellent, all metaphors. Now, Jesus' metaphor, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus is sticking with this metaphor. He takes this metaphor, though, to a whole nother level. He ramps it up, and he is forcing them to choose a side. And here's how he does it. Verse 49, your ancestors ate manna from God. They ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Now, the metaphor is getting ready to be uncomfortable. And Jesus does this on 
purpose, but it is just a metaphor. He says, anyone who eats the bread, it's, he's saying, the Messiah, that's me, he's saying. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Now, when he says flesh, he's not saying, hey, take a pinch right now. Get you a little pinch of Jesus right now. When he says flesh, that word flesh means a dead body, not a punk of the living Jesus. He says, which I will offer so the world may live. What he offers, this bread, he says, is my flesh. This bread of life, he says, that is me. I will offer my body through death, which will result in dead flesh, which will result in a carcass fit to be buried. That's the flesh I offer, a dead body. And he's saying, that's me. So who is he speaking to here? He has broadened it. Anyone in the whole world. What is the invitation? It's the same. Believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus, the bread of life, the body that he is going to offer in death as a sacrifice to the entire world. And here's what happened next. The pressure, the tension is immense. Verse 52, the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh, his dead body to eat? They asked. Jesus has ramped up this metaphor and the tension is working. What he is about to do, what he is trying to do, to push them to a point where they're going to make a decision. It is working. The Christies are getting uncomfortable and Jesus keeps the pressure coming. He does not let up. It's as if to say, okay, guys, listen, enough already. If you are in, come on, let's go. But if you aren't, move along. And this is a metaphor. Please understand this. This is not him promoting cannibalism. This is not even anything to do with the Lord's Supper or communion. Nothing. He's using a metaphor. And he's saying, decide now. He's saying, you have heard enough to make your decision. Jump on this train or move again. In verse 53, so Jesus said again. In other words, he is not letting this go. He's going to force them to make a decision. He says, I tell you the truth. 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Who did we say that was code for? The Messiah. Unless you eat the flesh of the Messiah and drink his blood, so he, he ups it, more pressure, you cannot have eternal life within you. Now, this is a metaphor. It's not literally eating and drinking. But I do want you to note, when you look at the original language, what the verb to eat and to drink means. It does not mean that you're going to go visit Jesus and eat and drink from the Messiah often. That verb literally means one time for all time. You will eat and drink of Jesus one time, in the metaphor, one time for all time. And God expects, he invites you and them to have a one-time act of faith for all time. And in doing so, it is applying this sacrificial death that Jesus offers for us into the life of one believing in, relying on, clinging to Jesus. He goes on, verse 54. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh, again, this dead body, is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. So anyone who eats my flesh, he is just not letting them off easy. He, they're uncomfortable with what he's saying, and he is hammering it home, making them more uncomfortable. So anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Jesus is saying, listen, Christies, playtime's over. We're getting down to business. Verse 57, I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, I want you to notice something. Just earlier, Jesus said, anyone who eats and drinks. And that verb meant one time for all time. But this verb feeds means something different. This verb is a whole different use and translated, here's what it means. It is ongoing. So the picture that Jesus is painting with when he says anyone who feeds on me, he's painting a picture of someone who stays with Jesus always. The first one was one time for all time. The second one was the person who stays with me always. In other words, as if to say, a one-time act of faith to say, Jesus, yes, you are the Messiah. I believe in, rely on, cling to you. And it's as if Jesus is saying, and the proof that you really are believing in, relying on, clinging to me, is that you stay with me. 
Jesus. You stay with me. And 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 you stay with me. That's the picture. Verse 58. He says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna. In other words, something from heaven. He says, but you will live forever. And it's as if Jesus drops the mic. (laughs) There it is. Whoops. There it is. Everything he had to say, and it's as if he says, okay, now, what are you? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about this information? Here's what happens. Verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this this is very, very hard to understand. How can anybody accept this? Now, who is Jesus speaking with right now? It says disciples, right? Now, these are disciples. And it's not just the 12 disciples that we call disciples, the 12 disciples. No, no, no. It was anyone who had labeled themselves as a disciple of, a student of Jesus. So among the Christies, it was anyone who really followed very closely to Jesus. They weren't on the other side. They were probably already over there with Jesus because they took off when the 12 disciples did. The other disciples who labeled themselves as students of Jesus went on too. So this is not the thousands This is a different number, way more than 12. We don't know how many right here, way more than 12. The 12 are among them, but it's many more who have been following Jesus all over Galilee every day. And they are struggling with what Jesus just said. This is an ever-growing number of people as every day more and more became a student of Jesus and followed Jesus around. And these guys are now talking between themselves. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to understand. I mean, they would be like, listen, Jesus, we are in this. Listen, through and through, we're in this, Jesus. We're in here. But this Jesus, listen, he's going to have to take it easy. Don't we want a movement? Don't we want more and more and more and more people to be following into the thousands and thousands and thousands? This is tough to hear. He needs to simmer down. This is difficult. We want a movement. But Jesus now shifts his conversation from the Christies to this some number, larger number of people who called themselves a student of Jesus, a disciple. More than 12, there are many, but we don't know how many. In verse 61, Jesus was aware that the disciples, so this large group, not just the 12, this large group, Jesus was aware that they were complaining because they were kind of elbowing and whispering, but Jesus was aware. And he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 63, he says, the spirit alone 
gives eternal life. I wish we could pause right here and just mention how Jesus is talking about God the Father, he's talking about God the Son himself, and he's talking about God the Spirit. We don't have time to pause. We're going to keep going. I just want to throw that out. He says, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Remember, he's speaking to those who have self-declared themselves as disciples of students of Jesus. And Jesus looks through this group of some number of people, and here's what he says directly to them. But some of you do not believe me. And then John gives us a parenthetical thought here because he understands later as he was writing and after multiple conversations with Jesus, he knew this. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and he knew which ones would betray him. Now, again, we mentioned this last week. I want to say it again. We have, as humans, one single responsibility in all of this conversation that Jesus just had. We have one responsibility, a responsibility to rely on, believe in, cling to Jesus, and Jesus holds us personally responsible for our one responsibility. Then he said to them, verse 65, then he said, that's why I said, that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Again, we talked about that last week. Go back and listen to that, please, please, please. So again, Jesus is pointing once again to the work of God. And I just want to make sure you understand, when he says the Father gives them to me, he's saying that is the Father's job, the Father's responsibility, that's what the Father does. He didn't give you the responsibility, he gave it to the Father. It is the Father's job. So we don't know when God does that, the Father. It's His business. We don't know how He does that. It's His business. We don't even know why He does that. It's His business. And it's as if Jesus is saying, is, don't worry about something that's not your business. But you do have something to worry about. Not that. Not that. Our sole responsibility is not for the actions of God, not for the decisions of God, the reasons of God, the why of God, none of that. Jesus holds us and them personally responsible for us rejecting him. And it's not because they could not believe in Jesus, it's because they would not believe in Jesus. It wasn't a lack of information. It was a lack, it was a lack of faith. And so he looks at them and he says, yeah, some of you do believe, but he says, some of you don't believe me. And they are realizing, I can only imagine that they are realizing Jesus isn't just 
a teacher. He's not just a guy who can work some miracles. He is claiming so much more. He's demanding a response of us that is so much more than just saying, yes, I'll learn from you, rabbi. And so now it appears that a casual interested student won't cut it any longer. It sounds like Jesus is saying you are all in or you're all out. Now, who? is Jesus speaking with. He's, he has opened this up for the whole world, including Christies, including the many, many, many students who were there, including the 12. What is the invitation? He's saying, you're going to have to take this bread of life. You're going to have to take this bread of life, and you're going to have to live your life with it. Live on it. Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's saying, I am the Messiah, and you're going to have to make a choice today. Is he the Messiah or is he not the Messiah? And here's the choice. Verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Every single invitation from Jesus demands a response. Yes? No? Are you in? Or are you out? And I find it very interesting and worth noting that Jesus said that God sent him for them. Not just the 12 disciples, not just the others who called themselves students of Jesus. No, 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 no. Even the Christies. He said, I am here for you, the Christies. And then he opened it up and said, no, 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 not just that. I'm here for the whole world. He offered them, the Christies, the students, and the 12 disciples, he offered them an opportunity. And yet, he allowed them to walk away. Don't you find that interesting? Was he lying when he said, I am here for you? Was he like, oh, just joking, JK, I'm really just here for these 12. Oh, really? Just 11. Was he lying? No, he wasn't. He really was there for them. Now, was he surprised that they left? Wow. <laughs> uh, didn't see that one coming. As a church planter, it's the opposite of, of, of what you want, right? He took thousands and turned them into handfuls. Did it surprise him? No. No. John said Jesus knew exactly who was going to follow him and who was going to walk away. Jesus let them decide 
for themselves, even though he knew who would and who would not. Now, at this point in the conversation, Jesus turns from the bigger group who called themselves students to those 12 disciples that we're very familiar with, and he now speaks with them. Now, we talked about this conversation that I'm going to just quickly read. We, we talked about this and taught about this week three of our January series. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But here's, here's the dialogue. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe. And we know you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. And John tells us uh, all these conversations happened later. It was very clear. And so he was able to write down that what Jesus was saying, even though he didn't understand it in that moment. And he tells us, verse 71, he was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, uh, one of the 12 who would later betray him. As we begin to wrap this up, I, 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 I want to give you a general summary of what we've talked about today. Who was Jesus addressing at one point? It was the whole world. What was the invitation he gave to the whole world? He said, believe in, rely on, cling to me, the Messiah. And what was the response? Well, it's still going on today. Some did. Most did not. Next, he's traveling. He's growing a, a group of students of self-professed, uh, self-labeled disciples. We are his students. We are his disciples. A growing number of people. He offers them. So that's the who. What does he offer them as the invitation? Same thing. Believe in, rely on, cling to me, Jesus, the Messiah. And what was their response? Some did. Most did not. They walked away that day, never came back. Then he talks to his 12, handpicked by Jesus. That's who he's speaking to next. Now, what was the invitation? Believe in, rely on, cling to me, Jesus, the Messiah. And the response. Some did. One ultimately would not. One would not. Every single invitation that comes from God demands a response. And as we look at this conversation, and as we look throughout the new covenant, we seem to see three responses, one of three every single time, always. One response is, well, some people are just going to scoff. They're just going to complain, and they're going to mumble, and they're going to fight, and they're, they do not believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus as the Messiah. We see a second response. Some have faith in something 
but not in Jesus as the Messiah. They're believing something about Jesus, but they're clinging to something else. Not the Jesus as he described himself, and not the Jesus who came to do the work of the Messiah as he defined what the work of the Messiah was. Some of them, like Judas, they kept following for a while until they eventually figured out, I want a different kind of Messiah. That's not what I want. Not that Jesus. And they soon walked away. What they wanted, he wouldn't give. What he offered, they would not receive. But there's a third response that we see. Some, although a much, much smaller number, some have faith in Jesus as he described himself and as he described his work. His work is the Messiah. God, who put on the flesh of man so he could live a sinless life and he could die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And everyone, all, anyone who believes in, relies on, clings to that Jesus will have eternal life with the real God in a real place called heaven. So what does all of that mean for today, right now, at this moment? Here's what it means. Today, with the metaphor, Jesus is still the bread of life. He is the only way, the only way to enter into an eternal relationship with God. Who is this for? Who is he speaking to? You, right now. And what is the invitation that he offers you? It is this. Believe in, rely on, cling to Jesus. And you only have one responsibility, and he will hold you responsible for that choice. What is your response? There's going to be one of three responses today. Either in our hearts, we will scoff at Jesus. Or we will believe in something, but not as Jesus described himself and his work. Oh, it'll be something, but not really in Jesus and who he is. Or the third response. And that's why we're here today. To find who will be that third response. The person who says, I will rely on, believe in, cling to Jesus. Jesus as he described himself. Jesus as he described his work. And if you're making that decision today, 
Remember, it is a one-time decision for all time. If you're making that decision, but how do we know? He said, how do you know? It's that person that stays and stays and stays and stays in the long run. Do we fall and trip and stumble and go back into addiction, go back into trouble, go back into mess? Yes. Yes, we do. But he pulls us out. If that's you today, and you're ready to make that one-time step of faith saying, Jesus, you are my Messiah. You are my Savior. I'm going to believe in, rely on, cling to you. You are my life, my bread of life. If that's you, that first time you say, Jesus, yes, let us know. Please, I beg you, let us know on your connection card. Just mark it. If you're using the paper version, just mark it on the back. You're making Jesus the boss of your life. If you're using the online version, mark that. And if you can't figure either of those out because maybe it's too dark, that's okay. Let me know personally. My email address is harleypetty at gmail.com. No dots, no periods, just harleypetty at gmail.com. Let me know. I want to encourage you. We want, if you have my number, text me. Let me know. We want to encourage you. Now, here's how I want to end this morning. I just simply want to say, do not get hung up on something that Jesus was not hung up on. Do not work yourself into frustration or a frenzy about this whole thing of God's work versus your work. Jesus said, you have one thing to worry about. It's not that. You have to worry about your response. Are you believing in relying on clinging to Jesus? That's it. That's your job, period. Let me use a metaphor as I close before I pray. I'm going to bring to you a metaphor to help you understand perhaps just a little bit as weak and as imperfect as a human metaphor is. God's metaphors are pretty perfect. My metaphors are not. But here's what this transition looks like going from uh, going from not connected to God eternally to connected. So don't get hung up on God's work, the Father calling. Don't get hung up on that versus your response. We need to worry about what God gave us to worry about. That's our response. Let's worry about that. But here's the metaphor. In front of me, I can I, I can see an amazing garden. And it requires no work. No weeds, ah, no thorns. Everything's living. It's not dying like in my yard. It's amazing. An amazing, amazing garden. A place I really want to go. But uh, here's the thing. I can't afford the admission into the garden. I have nothing. I have nothing to pay. Nothing I can do to get in there. I have no money. I can't pay the cost. I move closer to the great grand entrance of this amazing garden. And there I, I see there's an arch. And on that arch above the gate to get into the garden, above that gate, there's something that I read. And here's what it says. All who will may come in. 
all who will? I will. You mean I don't have to pay? No, it's been paid for you. All who will can come in. And so I, with great enthusiasm and excitement, I'm like, yes, I will. I go in and I'm in the garden and it is amazing. It's everything I heard it would be. It is so amazing. It is so perfect in that eternal, that relationship with God, our father, with Jesus and with the spirit. It is amazing. Everything I heard it would be. And I look back, I look back at the gate I just passed through. And I look up and written across the gate that I just passed through on this side, it says, you are here because the Father bids you to come. Don't worry about God's responsibility and salvation. We'll never understand it. Don't worry. Jesus did not give you that to worry about. Don't worry about how that works. Don't worry about if this is true, all who come will. All who will come, come in. Don't worry about that tension. Because according to Jesus, both are true. He's given us one thing to worry about. What is your response to the invitation? Let's pray. God, I am so, so, so grateful that, God, I do not have to understand the mind of God. I just have to determine what am I going to do with my life in relation to you. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to argue about who you are, God. I just have to determine who are you to me. And this morning I pray with everything in me that we have people here today who are among those who say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you as you described yourself and you alone that you came to do. And I am going to rely upon you and you alone. And Jesus, I will cling to you. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, we pray these things. In the name of our Father in heaven, who loved us so much that he sent Jesus, God, to put on the flesh of man and go to the cross. In the name of God's Spirit, who draws all men to himself and points to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, 
We say so be it. God, our Father, thank you. We pray these things. Amen.